I'm going to back up. How many of you think it's harder to get the vision? That's one answer. Don't answer yet. Yeah, or harder to share the vision. How many of you think the hardest part is to get the right vision? Good. How many think the hardest part is to share it once you've got it? <laughs> because you have to start by getting the vision and which if, if you're doing this for God's glory that vision needs to come from God and so that's fasting that's praying and sometimes we get frustrated we ask and we don't have why do we ask and we not have what would be a reason for that yes you guys are smart you've read God's word yes we ask for the wrong reasons now this happened to me early on in my life I thought God had called me into a new vocation and all of a sudden that didn't work out. So I thought, well, I wonder what other glamorous, awesome thing I'm going to do. And a brother in Christ said, um, really? Why, you, why do you say that? He said, would you go to you know, some faraway country? I said, sure. He said, would you do something else? I said, sure. He said, would you pump gas at Gibble Gas Station, which is what it's called? I go, no. He said, why not? I go, why would I do that? I mean, that's kind of, he said, what if God wanted you to do that for his glory? Ooh, wait a minute. You mean this is about God? This isn't about me? Yeah, it's about God. And it was when I surrendered to that and said, okay, God, I'll do what you call me to do, not what I think is awesome in my life, which is a vision. And he called me to do something I would have never, ever guessed. Uh, and it took me on a path I was never prepared to be on. But I think now we don't have, because we don't ask is one reason. The other reason is I don't think we ask very well. I mean, I... When, when I read, uh, when I read Luke 5.16, I think that's the right verse, Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed, I, went, I go, ooh, because I'm a get-her-done kind of guy. I mean, I just stop. I just stop and, you know, get on my knees and open God's Word and meditate. And, and so we have things around here like a desert day, and I say, can I take a desert like break? You know, because, can I take 15 minutes? No, take hours, take days. Anyway, um, Leaders are usually either discontented, they're upset, they're frustrated, they've been harmed in some way, or they see some injustice, say that we're changing this. And so they look for this vision. Or you've got a good organization, a good family, a good life, and you think this could be way, way, way better. And I'll give you a couple of examples of both. But most leaders start with a, from a base of discontentment. This isn't good. I, I don't like my present conditioning. So I'm discontented with being overweight, uh, and my wife reminds me of that, right? And so I have to have this discontentment with this, or I'm not going to go to the trouble to cast this vision to lose weight. If I'm fine with why I, where I am, I won't. Okay, let's talk about what happens when a vision's clear, when a vision's not clear, and I'm going to give a real secular example because uh, it helps me think. How many of you are familiar with the St. Louis Arch? Oh, good. So I don't have to show my picture, but I'm going to show it anyway because I pulled it up. St. Louis Arch? Cool, sweet. It's uh, how, how tall is it? Anybody want to guess? Wow. Are you? Yeah, yeah. And so, what's it called? What's it called? What's it referencing? Gateway to the West. Yes. And so, it's pretty cool. What river is it on? The Mississippi. So, uh, my family grew up here. Uh, we were here from when my kids were two and four. But we're from Oklahoma, so we'd load up and we'd drive to Oklahoma. Well, the arch was a big deal to us because for me, doing all the driving, oh, you know, I'm halfway there. This was good. So if the vision is to see the St. Louis Arch, and it was kind of a game, uh, not always because often we drove in the night and the kids were asleep, and I was looking for the arch, please. You know. But assuming we're driving during the day, which we did some, and we're, you know, the family's looking for the arch, and who gets to see it first? And so it's a beautiful, clear day like this. 
Uh, our vision is the arch, and we all know that, so we've all got that clear. So we're driving along. So come in the car with me, and I'm driving. Uh, Linda, my wife, who's sitting back there, she's sitting over here. Our kids always buckled up. Safety first, you know, buckle up for safety. I'm too old. Okay, y'all really <laughs> first. Kids are always buckled up. So one trip in particular, Lisa, my daughter right there, who's pregnant with uh, our first grandson. Yes. Uh, <laughs> awesome, because she named him Jack. And her me, and she got a new car for it. Yes. Okay. Uh, I couldn't have little Jack riding around that old beat-up car, right? Okay, so anyway, we're riding along. We're pretty protective about keeping the kids buckled up. They're buckled up in the back seat. You know, we're driving along, and we are having fun. We did word games. We're talking. We're laughing. So if you're in that car, sky's clear, blue sky up above, everyone's in love, and you're driving along. So what, what's it feel like? What's the environment in the car at that point? Say some words. Pleasant. Warm. Happy, fun, invigorating, engaging. Uh, it's keeping me awake, you know, so I'm alert because there's things going on. Well, one particular trip, uh, which makes this uh, story real simple, it started, the clouds started rolling in. Uh, you know what story I'm about to tell, Lisa? <laughs> the clouds started rolling. By the way, if there's some people in here that know me, this is 32. Because I have the same stories over and over. I can just say 32, and they go, yeah, okay, that's the St. Louis story. Anyway, uh, the clouds start rolling in, and all of a sudden we find out, we're turning on the radio, we have a severe, a like really, really bad storm that we know about if we've lived here, tornadoes and stuff. And it was getting spooky. So describe now what's happening in the car. What starts happening? Fear. Fear. So what, what's physically occurring? You're describing emotions. What physically happens? Quiet. Quiet. What happens to the radio? Well, if it's for the weather, you turn it up. But typically, like a fog rolls in, what do you typically do to the radio? Yeah, does that make any sense to any Oh, it's foggy. Oh, there. So, okay, life's good. And if you're, if you're relaxed driving, so I'm the driver and I'm relaxed, what happens when the... Yes. And guess what else I do? Because this really helps visibility. I go like this. <laughs> so you lean forward a little bit. You can see better. Well, on this particular day, it wasn't just that. The car starts buffeting around. It got just black. I mean, you could just see this black front coming, and it was spooky. But there was tractor trailers and cars, and we're on, is it I-44 or whatever that road is? And so I go slower and slower. And Lisa screams out, Dad, Dad, I'm scared. Can I get in the front seat? No, we don't do that. Well, she was kind of panicky. I said, okay, come on up here with us. And we were in this like big old ADA. Lisa bolts in the front seat between Linda and I. Well, a couple minutes later, my son says, can I get up there too? Yes, so he's up in the seat. And by then, this big black thing is about to hit us. And it was scary. And we had no vision. I mean, it was, so we were afraid. We were we were all kind of hunkered down and kind of you know, hanging on for life. I didn't know what was going to happen, but I didn't want to pull over. I was afraid somebody would run into me. And Lisa, this is my best memory, she goes, pray, Daddy, pray. And I said, I can't. You know, I'm just trying to hang on. You know? And I said, you pray. Which is a lot, a lot of biblical implications here. So Lisa screams out this prayer, which is very prophetic. Dear God, make this storm go away. Amen. And the clouds go... And it was clear sky. Oh, awesome. <laughs> I need a raise. Lisa, I pray for that. You know. <laughs> New job. I bet with the clouds cleared over, and then all of a sudden, huh, we all get back in our places. Lisa and Jonathan are back in the back. We settle down, and, and life's good. Now, that seems kind of funny, and kind of, that, but that's life, folks. 
if we're in a church and there's not a clear vision, we and depending on how cloudy that gets, it just gets weird. Mm-hmm. Uh, if we're with a missions organization, we go, well, we're just going to send money. What? I, I don't know what that means. And so there's bickering and fighting and people don't know whether they're in the right places or not. But when the vision's clear, when it's clearly articulated, we're kind of like, yes, yes. And when the vision's from God, uh, hang on. And so when the vision's from God, not only is it clear, for me what happens is I see it often before I hear it. So if I'm not the one getting the vision initially, and we'll use, uh, how many of you heard Gil Odendahl the other night talked about the peace plan? Mm-hmm. Uh, Gil's staying at our home, incredible blessing, so I'm asking him in this morning, and I go, oh, I've got to change this presentation again, because, but it's a very consistent pattern. I asked Gil a very open-ended question. My question was something like, so Gil, with the peace plan, which is amazing, but it's pretty tight, do you ever feel stifled? Do you feel like you can do other things? Okay, if you talk to anybody that's passionate about a vision, it doesn't matter what the question is you ask. I flipped on the switch. No. <laughs> no, he's not stifled by that. And um, here he goes. We started in Rwanda. And I mean, I'm, he's an autopilot. And he's telling this story, which has now been lived out for four or five years. He's passionate about it. He loves it. He believes it's from God. And he's seeing the results. And he's telling the story. Now, I've not been where the peace plan's been, so I'm hearing the story. And sometimes you hear it, but I'm hearing a story that he has lived out over and over and over again. So he's just breathing life into what's really happening. And if if God's in it, if the vision's clear, the way you share it is two ways. It's seen and it's told. Uh, I heard this morning uh, Dennis Schreier talking about what goes on with Empire Dental Trips. Well, I'm pretty close to that one. But every time I hear the story, I go, yeah, that is some cool stuff. But I've actually seen it. So what was Jesus' vision? What would you say? Well, how would you describe Jesus' vision for us? Jesus was walking around doing stuff. Well, what do you think his vision was? What was the phrase he used? Somebody just said kingdom, for the king, future kingdom. So did he get up and, and put the bumper sticker on the back of the chariots? You know, did he get a commercial? So what did he do? He, he lived it. So he did life and he showed us, but he was also in the business, it's a mathematical term, what was his business? Multiplication. And he showed us. So he tells us in some ways, but really what Jesus did, his vision for reaching the world for his Father to proclaim his fame and glory throughout the world is through multiplication. Make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. I saw it. We saw it. Well, I didn't see it. I saw it up here. I saw it in here, but I read it. And we're still doing it. And it's still, that's how we're reaching the world. So you you live the vision. Uh, let me tell you a quick, couple of stories to kind of bring it to life. And one's uh, near and dear to me because it's my wife. She's sitting right back there. A year ago, in this room, uh, she's a dental hygienist. Uh, when our children were born, she quit her practice to raise the kids. And in the last few years, she's gotten very involved in missions ministry. And now, she's the executive director of Empower. So she's pretty passionate about going into countries and empowering indigenous people to have the tools and techniques to to do more. I knew that. I've seen that. I've been on trips with her. But last year she stood up here and she told a story. I thought, that's a pretty good story. Because not everybody gets to go on that trip. And people that are casting visions, they do it with their life. They also do it with stories. And leaders often tell stories. That's, That's what Jesus did. Told stories. He also, how would you like to have been the one that walked up to him and says, I don't get that. And he goes, you're still so dull. Are you still so dull, Jesus asked. I'm glad I wasn't that guy. who Leaves his favorite first. Anyway, so Linda's up here uh, telling a story. She's in the field. Uh, she asked some young guys uh, that's getting trained, how old are you? And how old did he say he was? I can't remember. He was 
He was 40. He said, I'm 40. And then he turns around, because he's not sensitive to our culture and asking an old lady this question. <laughs> he said, how old are you? And Linda said, were you 60 at the time? Old. Linda says, I'm 60. And he goes, oh my, that's a very big number. <laughs> and Linda said, it is a big number. And because that number is so big, I don't have a lot of time left. So I want to be real intentional about what I'm doing for God. So it was a bit of a personal testimony, but she transitioned into saying, uh, asking this group of dentists and dental students, so if you go to the mission field and you serve dental patients while you're there as a dentist, how many, what's the number? You know, is it 100? Is it 200? I don't know what the number is. I'm not, she's the expert at that, I'm not. Uh, but, and then when you leave, what's the number? Zero. It just stops. Or you can go to the mission field where you've been asked to come in, where local pastors want you, where you can come alongside of the church and slow down and maybe only see 50 patients or 40 patients. But in the process, you're training local pastors to do basic dental care. So then when you come back to the United States, it goes on. Now, what's that number? It's hundreds. It's thousands. And so it's a great story to tell that somebody goes, I don't get it. I don't get what Empower does. Well, let me tell you a story. So leaders tell stories. But they're usually telling stories of life. Life-changing stories about them. About where God, where they've seen God uh, at work. And why would they tell these stories? For whose glory? God's. Yeah, so I'm sitting back there as, you know, the husband of 39 years going, oh, that's the wife of my youth. I love that. But her story was about God's glory. And her story was about if we do this well and more people do it well, God's name gets spread. Uh, more people get to tell the gospel. And in fact, uh, I, I kind of wish I had come into the medical profession. When, a, when somebody will sit still and let a dentist put their hands in their mouth, there's a connection, I assume, uh, that I've never had. I, mean, I, I don't go around and ask very many people to sit back so I can stick my hands in their mouth. I just, I've never done that. But you've got that kind of connection. They're in pain. So you're relieving this temporal pain and these local pastors say, hey, you know what? There's something a lot worse than this toothache. It's an eternal pain. Now, can I talk to you about that? And I've been in situations where the, the leading chief of a Hindu tribe or whatever they're called, all of a sudden we're, we've got him. We would have never, we'd have never had that opportunity to share the gospel with him. We do now. In fact, on that particular trip, Linda, we were in a part of India. There's all Hindus around us. Uh, around this little local church which we come to help the local church wanted to expand because it was growing and all the Hindu leader says never you cannot have ground you cannot expand so just a quick story what happened so a couple days there and we're treating these people and life's good and in fact we took we stopped along the way we were Steve and Jenny Saint Lynn and I were in the back of this vehicle driving along through the middle of nowhere it looked like something a bad movie and I always thought it'd be great to have Linda on my lap for an hour or two. Well, I got real old, you know. <laughs> About three hours, and Steve Saint telling all his awesome stories, and I didn't get to tell him mine. All of a sudden, we we slow down, and out from nowhere comes some guy on a bicycle with a burlap sack. What's that? And the vehicle stops, and the burlap sack comes in, and a little sack, paper sack, goes out, and. Our driver drives on. I go, hello, wait. What was that? Did we just buy drugs? I mean, what, what was that deal? Oh, I just bought an extra gun. Because we it's really bad where we're going. Oh, an extra gun. <laughs> Which means our other gun is there. And that was the environment that we went into. But after serving God in His way, in the vision that He cast for that ministry, after a couple of days, the leaders came to us. 
came to that local church and said, you do such a good work here. We want you to buy more land. We want more of you here. Wow. You know, that's, that's pretty good stuff. Jesus taught and He healed. He preached and He healed. And so when you go in, you go heal and you just teach. You go heal and you get to preach. So uh, it, was a, it was a beautiful thing. When I was in the corporate world and we would do leadership training, I would get to this point. Uh, there's a book that I would use called The Leadership Challenge by Coos and Pauser. And I would encourage you to read it. It's a great book. Uh, it was a great book for me because being in a... Uh, well, when I was CEO, we had a thousand employees. I spoke a lot. And I wanted to somehow express my passion about leadership and the model of Jesus. But I had to be careful of how to do it. Well, this book did it for me. These guys, Coos and Posner, studied a whole bunch of people. And they asked us who would we follow. And we said we would follow... That we would describe people. And they said, well, so what are their common characteristics? And we... They found out through research that we tend to follow people that are honest, competent, forward-thinking, and inspiring. I, I was reading this book, and I go, that's my Jesus. He's honest, you know, perfect. He's competent, perfect. Uh, he's forward-thinking. That's all he talked about. I mean, he talked about the future, and he's very inspiring to this day. And inspiration is not charisma. It's, it's this, this solid truth. It's like, yes, I want some of that. And then they found out they did five things consistently. They're called exemplary practices. They model the way. And I, I was reading that section. I model the way. Do as I do. Come follow me. That's Jesus. Yeah, there's no no uh, sin that you'll ever that I've not done. Oh, that's that's my Jesus. Uh, he modeled the way. And the second thing they do is they inspire a shared vision. Oh, Jesus did that. He inspired this vision of the future. And if you if you read the definition, it's it's a shared vision. It's one that all of us go. Yeah, I'm in on that. That's not just your idea. That's all of our ideas. Uh, to put this in context, it's like the the uh, CEO of the company that was trying to get the number two guy, and he he recruited and he recruited, and he just couldn't quite get him. And finally, he took him out on a drive in his car. He said, "Come get my car. I want to show you something." He drove outside of town. He said, "See that big uh, hill up there? Yeah. See that beautiful home up there on that hill? Yeah. See all those horses and all that cattle and all that equipment? Yeah. If you come to work for me and you give me all you've got for ten years, someday all this will be mine." Well, <laughs> no, that's not a shared vision. That's a CEO vision. That's an autocrat's vision. A shared vision is one that we go, "Wow, you mean we could go to that country and do that, and I could do, I could have a part in that? Wow, I'm not a dentist, but you know what I do on those trips? I'm, I'm security. Uh, I pray. I taught martial arts for years, so I'm very comfortable in full contact. So I'm comfortable in that kind of. Okay, if somebody comes up, I'm, I'm getting old and slow, but I at least know what to do. Uh, and I've, I stayed at Holiday Inn Express last night, so I got that. Uh, and I'm, I'm pretty anal, so I was good with, um, what do you call it? Sterilization. I mean, you know, no, you know, this, these things have to be here, and this has to be here, and so nobody messed with that. So I didn't know what the dentists were doing, but I knew one thing: the grungy stuff they gave me at this end of the table came out sterilized at that end, right? And I did it with excellence. Yes. Uh, so I shared in on that vision of transforming this country, not being a dentist, uh, not even going, I, I'm an ordained minister. Now I wasn't then. I'm, I love Jesus. I love the Lord. I love what they're doing. But I got to play a part uh, in this vision. It was a great thing. So leaders inspire a shared vision. Uh, they do three other things. I'll just tell you quick in case you're interested. They challenge the process. Leaders are discontented with things, the way things are, so they experiment, they take risks. Did Jesus do that? 
Oh, huge. <laughs> okay, how'd you like to be a 12-year-old girl? Excuse me, guys, I'm going to read. You know, uh, uh, Money changers, no, this isn't the plan. By the way, I've been out there making a whip, and I'm going to beat you with it. You know? <laughs> that's challenging the process. That's taking risks, that's experimenting, that's doing something else. Leaders also enable others to act. And by the way, that's what Empower's model is. When Charlie Vitito, Dr. Charlie Vitito, <laughs> Daniel would say, uh, founded Empower, he, it took years. You talk about a vision that was prayed about and thought about and counsel of many. Uh, I can remember this years ago, and I kept saying, please call it Enable. And he said, why? And I said, well, I'm a stickler on words. Empower is kind of a feeling and emotion. Enable actually means put the tools in the hands of. That's but the reason a lot of people don't use the word enable is because it's gotten a negative connotation in America. We, you know, you, you've enabled them to act badly. But that wasn't the initial intent of the word. But enable others to act means put the tools in their hand. So you want, a, you want an indigenous person to have some basic skill? Well, you, you enable them. You empower them. So empower would be more the feeling, the, the, the license, the authority, and the enabling, I think, is, oh, here's some instruments. Here's how you clean them. Here's what you do. Here's what you don't do. You know, you do not tackle a tooth that you can't, that you're not like 100% confident that you can handle, or you're going to make a mess. By the way, since we've, you've heard a lot about this, I don't know if you've heard this. University of Kentucky sent a research team to Ghana. Uh, I don't. I think the head of the research team wasn't even a believer, if I recall. Is that true? Probably. I don't know. Probably shouldn't have said that. Anyway, they go over there and do this statistical validated sample. So they. <laughs> In fact, I won't tell you a couple of dentists that are good friends of mine that went because they didn't fare a lot better than these punks that knew nothing a few years earlier. That's what they did. They did this research. And guess what they found out? There was, there was hardly any difference at all between the results of the patients that had been treated by these indigenous people than these dentists. Well, one of the reasons is they've been, those, those guys have been trained well. Don't tackle stuff, you'll mess up. That's part of the, that's part of the enabling. And then the last thing leaders do, they encourage the hearts of others. Gosh, Jesus encourages my heart. I, mean, I wouldn't be up here. Uh, he called me. I mean, I, the whole thing is him. And everything he does, God's word, God's love letter to us is an encouragement to our heart. Well, thank you, God. You cared so much you gave me your word, so I don't have to figure this out on my own. Uh, the first verse I ever memorized uh, was Joshua 1.8. And at the time, I didn't. I didn't know who Joshua was. I didn't know what, his, what he was doing. I just, I'm not a biblical guy, but it says, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, being careful to do according to all truth in it. Then you will be prosperous, and then you'll have success. Yes, I want that verse. You know, I want to do that, because I didn't know that before. I, I want to meditate on God's word. I want to try to do things according to God's plan. That's very encouraging to me. I, there's hope. You know, I, I got a chance if I do that. So, leaders do those things. Uh, but if you get back to the inspiring shared vision, and if you go into the world, that's usually done with metaphors, songs, bumper stickers, cross-functional groups, all kinds of stuff. That's how you make them sit. In God's world, uh, God's kingdom, you make absolutely certain the vision's from God, and then you just hang on to the right. And you, you basically proclaim His glory. You do what He calls you to do, and He just does some amazing things. So when I was back in uh, Omaha, where we lived, and I would do, when I get to the inspiring, the shared vision, you'd have to, it's called bringing it to life. So I'd say, okay, I need a little bit of leeway here. I've got to tell you the most powerful vision story I know. Um, and in the corporate world, these are rare. And I think there's a reason, because they're not God-breathed. In the kingdom world, you see them all the time. But in fact, uh, I hung with other CEOs Almost all of them would have said their weakest. If those five, their weakest is inspiring shared vision. 
I was in the financial industry. These are serious financial guys. I was the weird guy who liked to get up and do stuff like this. Most of them are, you know. And they would run their company by statistical numbers. I didn't. My team would run the company by saying, hey, wouldn't it be awesome if we worked in a place where people trusted us and we made a difference and they chose us to do business with and life just kept going on. We, we talked in soft terms and got hard results. Most financial guys talked in hard terms and they got soft results, in my opinion. But this inspiring and shared vision, I didn't have very many corporate examples, so I gave an example of this place. So forgive me uh, for drawing attention to what God did here, but He did it as for His glory. This church, about 10 years ago, I'll have to go back further than that probably, early 90s, uh, we just moved to a new building. It's seated 2400, I think, Linda. The, the weekend we moved in, we had this crosswalk. We literally walked from the old building to the new building. And it was cool. Then you lined up, were you in that, Cheryl? So you lined up by class. They had like the agape class and the two-by-two class, but a whole lot of people didn't have any class, so they were under the no class. <laughs> so yeah, no class, you walk to that group. Walk to the new building, we go in the new building, we're slammed. We're totally out of space. And uh, I don't know what year it was, I was an elder in 89, but somewhere in there. But I can tell you, as a, as a young elder, I was on, ah! Oh, major problem. This isn't going to work. So right away we're going, what do we do? And so I got tasked to be on this long-range planning committee with a few other elders to talk about the future. I, looking back, I was just hanging on. I didn't know what was going on. Well, all of a sudden we came up with this. Uh, God gave us this idea. Build a place where we don't have to turn people away. And when, when the original vision for this facility that you're sitting in was cast, it was un, none of us thought, there's no way, this is not going to happen. And we said, if God's not in it, it's not going to be there. When we set out to, to do this, it was, uh, I think the first number was around $50 million. Never been done. In fact, we needed to raise like $28 million. Never been done. I'm panicky, freaking out. So I take no credit for any of this at all. In fact, I'm quoted in the book, When God Builds a Church, Bob Russell calls me in Omaha. Can I quote you uh, for something you said as an elder when we were building a building? Yeah, that'd be cool. Awesome. Well, it's not a good quote. So. <laughs> it's typical me in the boardroom. Uh, one of the elders said, I mean, I'm talking about you know, what we have to raise, what the banks are going to require, because that's my industry. And I knew. I said, well, this is going to be, you know, we got to do this, we got to do that. And one of the elders said, hey, if one person, uh, he said, this is going to be the best spiritual thing that ever happened to this church. We're going to get serious. And he, by the way, he was dead right. We are going to get serious about where we are with our Lord doing this project. This isn't about a building. This is about are we serious about committing to personally and sacrificing so that we can bring people in that want to hear the great news. Because we are bringing people to church. We have people on the parking lot going full stop, go away. We did it all the time. Hated it. We all hated it. And uh, But when he said that, it got kind of this lull. Back then, it was there were about 24 hours. You had to raise your hand. You know, the chairman's real problem. Yes, Jack. I make a motion that if one person gives us a check for $28.5 million, we do not tell Mount Davis. That's all. You totally missed that. Uh, I wanted all the money to come in. I didn't want spiritual blessing. I just wanted the money because I knew it was going to be hard to get. And so I was being a total smart aleck. We did not do that. So we go off on this campaign to raise, I think it was $28.5 million. Unheard of. We did not know what we were doing, but we felt like God told us to do that. So we decided we'd share the vision in home groups. So I remember the first home group I went in, the congregation really didn't know what we were doing yet. So I go into this home with about 30 people. I only knew a couple of them. I thought, oh God, I have no idea how this is going to work. I'm thinking money. He's thinking new deal. 
new wine, new wine skin. That's what he's thinking. And that was his vision for this church. But I, I come in this room, and uh, this still has emotional impact on me. There's all these people around the room. I knew the guy that left. His name was Chuck. So I just barely knew him, didn't know him in class. I said, hey, Chuck, before I give kind of the spiel uh, of the vision thing and you know, tell you all to sell your homes, you know, give away your first cattle and all that, uh, would you just, I didn't even say that. I said, hey, Chuck, before I give the thing here, uh, i got a little video to show in a minute. Would you just introduce yourself? Let's just go around and introduce ourselves and just kind of, just kind of say how you got connected to Southeast Christian Church. He goes, well, I'm Chuck. Uh, said his last name. I've been in Southeast so-and-so. And he said, I have no idea what our elders are going to tell us, but whatever it is, I'm, I'm all in. I'm all in. And I hope it's something fairly amazing because it's, it's had a, this being a part of this fellowship has had a huge impact on me and my family, and we need more, and we're out of space. Wow. That was good. You're talking about easy to share the vision. Okay, so it just kept escalating. People were crying. I was crying. By the time it got to me, I didn't have a vision to share. I said, okay, well, when everybody's trying to break me, check, we'll just go home. I don't know what else to do. But we did did the little video. You know, I've been to ministries where I've just, they've rocked my world, but I couldn't remember it. So, yeah, I got a postcard. And so I just got back from Czech Republic, an awesome uh, ministry. And I'm glad that they wrote down a movement of God among the youth of Eastern Europe that finds its home in the local church and transforms society. Because I saw it. I saw the results after 10 or 12 years. I heard the leader inspire that in a way that was just like, I'm ready to sell everything and move to Europe. But I couldn't remember it. So it was good to have this too. And our church had that. We had the stuff. But we had the stuff. Because God told us to build this church. We uh, sought out to raise the $28.5 million. By the way, when I used to share this in the corporate setting, I could not get through it. I I was always crying. I've told so many times I could get through it. It was just overwhelming. And my family, uh, one of the ways we did it, there was a a communion table down front. The weekend that we were going to put in our pledge, which got to be a joke, the once in a lifetime, you know, forever big sacrificial gift that we did about six times here. Uh, But that that particular weekend is pretty special. We actually laid it on the altar. So we... (laughs) I do, I do this. So you'd write it down, you'd have this envelope, you know, you'd get lined, and, and you know, you'd lay it on the altar, and you knew what was in that. I mean, I knew. And at the time, I thought, okay, we will not. Uh, God, I'm glad we're doing this. I'm glad you called me this. We will not recover from this one. Now, this, is, this is the big one. And this was after several others where we tried to raise money for land, and not enough money came in. I go, okay, maybe I didn't do enough. So I'm back to doing the model of the way thing. Hey, Linda, I guess we didn't give enough. So we, we do more. And uh, God worked through Linda in some ways. It just. All of a sudden, some income came in because of her arts and crafts stuff. We never planned on it. God was just, I mean, it was unbelievable. So we weren't really busy talking about this. We were just trying to hang on for the ride. So we're up there, you know, we're laying down our envelope. Everybody's laying down their envelope. And we're big on confidentiality here. I'm, I'm over all of our operations and our missions. And I can't tell you what one donor gives this church. We don't, we don't share that data with anybody. Don't let the right hand know the left. So I'm chairman of, uh, I'm, a, I'm the elder over finance. I have no idea what this number is. I'm going to find out with the rest of the congregation. So, in fact, it was a Saturday night, and a bunch of us had planned this fishing trip. I wasn't even here, which I just would love to turn that life over. And my wife's not a crier, but when I got the call, I knew this was big. <laughs> this is big. So what they did, <laughs> they stood at the end of the stage, a little drama here, and said, okay, we're going to reveal the offering. Oops, and they started putting up cards. So like A, 2, well, you know, it didn't really matter until you got down to the millions. Well, the last number was, the next to last number was 2. Okay, I wasn't there, but I know if I'd have been there, I'd have gone, surely it was more than $12 million. It had to be more than $12 million with this many people. So I'm doing the math, which is what I always do. And then I thought, well, maybe it's $22 million. It was $32 million. Mm-hmm. 
and the place of... Well, that's... When God has the vision and God inspires it and God shares it, hang on. Just hang on for the ride. And it was just amazing. Uh, it wasn't a year later, property sold, that building right over there. It's called the Youth Activity Center. We thought, so the elders ran in and go, hey, hey, we don't have that building more. Let's build the YAC, Youth Activity Center. I'm like, oh, no, no, no. We, I can't. We can't. We don't. No, everything's prearranged. We've got these finance arrangements. No. And Bob Russell was a senior pastor. Well, what would it take? We, we'd have to raise $10 million. <laughs> We've got to get another $10 million. Yeah, just because we sold this building, that was all part of the plan. Well, okay, well, we'll do that. Okay. So this was, I don't know, a year, year and a half. I don't remember, Cheryl. It wasn't long. It was the making room for more part three or something. I don't know what it was. <laughs> so we do this, basically a soft launch, if you know what that means. Just kind of, okay, we've got this opportunity. Here it is. It wasn't. It wasn't the MLK Jr. speech, which is one of the best I've ever heard. That's not what it was. It was we think God is moving this way. Are you, do you, you want to come with us? Is it, do you see this vision this way? That's, it was almost a question. If you do, this is what it's going to take. We need another $10 million. $10 million. I bet church wasn't that big at the time. So, Easter Sunday, we all go to Freedom Hall. That's the only place that would hold all of us. I think there was probably 13,000 at the time. Do you remember? Somewhere in there. So, I'm sitting back there. I'm sitting next to Linda, and I see Bob Russell open this letter, and I'm looking at him, and I'm going, there's no way. There is no way. There is no way. And we need a $10 million. I don't remember. It's 11.6. You know, 11.6? That wasn't us. That's God. That's God who had a vision to do something here. Now, our buildings, what church all about? No. Uh, but it did, did it enable us and, and give us the capacity to serve thousands of people? Yes. And I think that was God's vision. I don't, I don't think it was us. And to an elder, to a staff person, we say, we, didn't, we did not even know what we were doing. In fact, I was in the meeting uh, with Bert Klein. He was the owner of, uh, can't remember the name, Bank of Louisville. A Jewish man. He's sitting there. I'm sitting here. Bob Russell, our senior pastor, is here. This is after we've gotten the 32 million. We were going into the banks now to try to borrow the 28 or whatever it was. And Bob's trying to introduce me to Bert so I can show this. It's called a pro forma. Here's, you know, here's what's going to happen. We're going to get this many butts in the seat, you know, all this money. You know, I got all the math going. And Bert goes, now, he said, I know Jack, and, and you know, I'm sure you got all that stuff. No, he turned to Bob. He goes, Bob, I want to talk to you. He said, I'm, I'm a Jew. I thought I was a money guy. I don't know money. You know money. You can raise money. How'd you do that? And I'm thinking, oh, Bob, be careful. Because we need to get this loan signed before you present <laughs> the gospel. And Bob goes, it's, it's a God thing. He said, if, if God's in it, we can't stop it. <laughs> so Bert starts kind of arguing with him. I'm going, oh, stop, stop. We will, we will win him over to our glorious Lord Jesus Christ after he's sent us the money. <laughs> Bert comes back at him again. Bob goes back again. Bert comes back again. And then Bob proceeds to say, you know what? It's for the sake of Christ. Bob presents the gospel to this Jewish banker. And I'm going, oh, that's pretty amazing. But that probably just cost us a loan. Did it? No. no. In fact, when the bids came back, I rarely was in Bob Russell's office, but I got these bids. I walked in there with a couple other people. I go, well, uh, God is in this big time. He said, why? I said, well, you're not going to understand all this, but because of the terms and conditions of this package, there's no, there's no place in the world that we get a loan like this. So we waltzed into the elder meeting. Here's the package. Done. We're done. Bird visited us a couple times. I would love to tell you that he and you know, his family and 3,000 others have accepted Christ. I don't think so, but we did get the money and uh, we built this building. If God's in it, folks, we just got to hang on. Just hang on. And it's, it's, it's boots in the ground. It's living it out. It's, it's just hanging on to, to, uh, 
to God and hanging on to what He has to do. I, I got just like tons of stories. I'm going to tell one more, and I need to leave about a minute or two for questions. Uh, in 2004, I, my corporate world ended. I was the CEO of an organization that was trying to be acquired by a, a big bank out of the Netherlands. Transaction uh, ended, and part of that was I had to contractually agree. I ended. So, <laughs> chairman of the board, a dear uh, brother in Christ, comes walking down the hall, and I'm like, oops, this isn't looking good. Mm-hmm. And he said, okay, we're going to terminate the transaction. Uh, we're going to have to, we're going to. We want you to resign, and you got to kick in all these provisions. And God was just with me. I'm kind of an autopilot. It hadn't hit me yet that I didn't know what I was going to do for 20 hours a day, which I've been used to doing. And so I'm in kind of this autopilot, and, and all of a sudden I'm unemployed uh, with money. Fortunately, God, uh, it's like coming out of Egypt, so that was good. And Linda comes to this conference. This was 2004, and we've been here, but we moved to Omaha. She called me and says, "Hey." I met this guy, King's Pride Hammond and Charlie Vito. You need to uh, meet him. You need to go to Ghana on a mission trip. Uh, no, thank you. Uh, him gone hot, and you know, <laughs> isn't that that place where the guy says you have to start a Bible study at 9 a.m. And I didn't know that time. And it goes so far. Uh, no, you need to do this. Okay. So, okay, uh, have their people talk to my people. You know, I'm still in the CEO mode. I'm totally not getting this. I said, tell this guy, Charlie Vito, to call me. Well, he called me, and we laugh about this story now. We've numbered it because I told him a million times. He called me, and I thought, loser. I mean, you know. <laughs> he wasn't very exciting. He, I, didn't, I, I didn't hear any big visions. Hey, Linda told me maybe I'll go on this trip to Ghana. I go, yeah, what am I going to do there? That's my first question. What am I supposed to do? What, you know, what am I going to offer? What, what's a finance guy? Uh, to cut to the chase, I go to Ghana, and for the first time in my life did I see unbelievable leadership in action. This model the way, inspired me. And I saw Dr. Charlie Vitto do things I'd never seen in the corporate world. In fact, it pretty much cost me my next CEO job because I had an owner of a company want me to run his company in Omaha. And I was close to getting it until he took Linda and I out to dinner with he and his wife. And he was a multi-gazillionaire, young, spoiled kid. He said, hey, Jack, I know you're a big leadership guru and all that. So what would you tell me? What would you tell me to be better about leadership? And I thought, okay, well, I'm going to tell him the truth. I forgot his name, which is probably good. <laughs> Bob. Uh, but I knew that. I walked out and told Linda, I said, there went that job. She said, no, no, just wait. But I said, Bob, you know what I would tell you? I said, this might be hard for you to hear, but here's what I'd tell you. Leave behind all the stuff that your dad left you and that you've had all your life. And leave behind the car and the suit and all that stuff. And come with me and let me show you what God does through somebody who's sold out for him. Let me just show you that. I wasn't emotional at the time of that because I knew he didn't have a clue. He did not have a clue. And so he and his wife were kind of staring at him and I told him more. And then it quickly got to, so are you going to get a salad or soup? You know, <laughs> that conversation was over and the next morning I got to call, uh, we're going to look for somebody else. They, they weren't ready for that. And he wasn't ready for that. And, and I knew, and I know now, God didn't want me in that anymore. So he brought me here. But that was because uh, of this conference so I have my heart big for this conference because my wife took the initiative to inspire this itty bitty vision for me that I didn't even get at the time and then I'm on a plane he's not in here uh, with a woman here at church I barely knew because I, I couldn't remember she comes up I'm on a flight to Sri Lanka or Indonesia she sits down and says hey I've got a prophetic word for you I'm like na 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 she said you need to come to Orca Southeast Christian Church and my husband would really benefit having you as an accountability partner and my immediate response was I will never work at Southeast Christian Church, and I do not want or need another friend. Uh, <laughs> I spoke the truth in love. Uh, guess where I 
work. Uh, and guess who one of my closest friends in the world is? And those were visions that were cast, but she truly believed that and she was persistent on it. Folks, if you're following the Lord and you're sold out for Him and you're really seeking to, to delight Him and bring Him glory, it's, you can't resist. God is calling us. Uh, he called me to this job. I had, I had two or three times I almost got close to being another president, CEO, big deal, and it wasn't happening. I was, what's up with this? So I got interviewed to be the outreach minister here with three staff or something. And I go, what am I doing? What's God doing? How's this even going to work? So I'm in the interview. I finally, after two years, I finally said, I'll interview, but please know. If I say no, don't be mad at me. And they said, well, please know if the interview doesn't work well, we don't offer you. Don't, you're not mad at us. <laughs> so, so I go in, and the interview is going on. And while I'm in the interview, I believe God spoke to me. And he's spoken to me very clearly. This was a very different calling for me. And at the end, the, one of the guys says, how will you know if it's God's will you work here? I said, I think, I've just, I think I'm about to find out. And they said, how's that? And I said, well, there's two elders in this room. And one of them, pretty certain, doesn't like me at all. Because I've been on a mission trip with him before, and we just got after it. Uh, the other elder doesn't know me very well. And some of you, and I said, there's a minister in here that knows me really well. And so I said, if, if God speaks through all of you as the authority of my church, that this is where I'm supposed to go, I'm going to assume that that's correct. Because I, I do not understand this. can't figure it out. That's what they did. Here I am. And it's, it's not been easy. But I believe I'm here because it's where God chose me to be. Not because I figured this out. Not because I'm not that smart. Okay, you've got one second for questions. <laughs> Can I take one, uh, one question? One big question. Which is, come on, anything? Surely. No? Thank you for coming. Have a great conference. God loves you. Go tell the world.